Well, if you'll open to Psalm 139, Psalm 139, we'll talk this morning about God and knowledge. God and knowledge. Coming up on probably the last two to three studies uh, in this particular um, lesson in vain, so be praying about uh, about the uh, Sunday school to come. Jay and I have been talking about that. Um, so probably probably a couple more weeks of guy. Does anyone need a a uh, one of these note sheets? Yeah, you do. Okay. There you go. We're on the second page for those of you that have are have been uh, with us the whole time. It speaks of uh, God and, and knowledge. Uh, there was a funny quote I read this past week, and it said, "Unless your name is Google, stop acting like you know everything." <laughs> and I thought that oh, that's pretty good, you know, because Donnie and I joke, you know. She says, "Well, you know, what about this or what about that?" And I'll say, "Just a moment, let me ask my brain," and I'll punch Google, you know. So for better or for worse, we're there. Uh, hopefully, it's uh, it's a good thing and not a bad thing for our, for our minds and for our memories. But for us, gaining knowledge is is a process. It's it's a quest. You know, we learn by degrees. We begin, say, in ignorance of a particular subject or a particular discipline, and then we learn uh, by degrees the basic facts, and then we learn the the all of the outcomes, and then we master the the subject. And many of you that have gone to college, you that was you had a you had a major, and that was your focus, and you began maybe not knowing much about that area, but it became your emphasis, and in the study, and the background, and the and the determination, the blood, sweat, and tears, you you mastered that particular area, and um, also you know just time and experience are great teachers, aren't they? You know, I mean, I'm fifty-two next next week, and. Uh, well, time and experience have been great teachers. God has used those experiences to educate me, and he does that with all of us. And uh, obviously there's no more now than we knew just a few years ago, but there's a lot to learn, isn't there? Well, that's just not the case with God, though, when it comes to knowledge. With God and knowledge, he does not learn by degrees. In fact, he does not technically learn anything at all. And the reason God does not learn, does not need to learn, does not need to increase his knowledge by gaining facts and information and mastery of, of any particular area, is that God knows everything that possibly can be known. And when we ask, well, when did he know it? The answer to the question is that he has always known it. There never was a time, just like there never was a time that God did not exist, there never was a time that God did not know all things that can be known. With God, everything is one, and everything is the eternal present before him. So what he has known in eternity past, he knows now and will know. And for us, it's very difficult because our life is completely an unfolding of God's providence and, and will and purpose. I don't have an idea of what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, I could think about it and think, well, it might be this way, it might be that way, but really don't know. 
And if you were to ask, you know, a person, well, what's your life going to be like, you know, like the job interview question, where do you see yourself in five years? You know, I'd like to give a really difficult answer to that, but I know that's not what they're looking for. And I'd like to say, well, you know, I don't have a clue and I don't really care. It's in God's hands, you know, but you can't, you can't say those type of things in a job interview or they'll look, pass you over and look for someone else. Um, but, uh, well, maybe you can. Maybe, maybe you, you can get that answer. Maybe that's what they're looking for. I don't know. But with God, if you, if you, I mean, if you ask a person who's going to say, where are you going to be in five years? They just really don't know. I really don't know where I'm going to be in a year, in a day, in a month. Because God is going to unfold that for me. And he's going to unfold it for you. And we'll know after the fact. With God, he knows all things that can be known. And he knows them right now. Not only the eternal past, the eternal future. He knows everything whatsoever that ever will be. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? So, but that's our God. So looking to that sheet that you have there, um, the infinity with reference to, God, to knowledge, the infinity of God, excuse me, with reference to knowledge, is called his omniscience. Omni in science, O-M-N-I, it's I-E-N-C-E. Knows all things that can be known. And by this, we mean he has a perfect and internal knowledge of all events, which are the objects of man's knowledge, whether actual or possible, present or future. He not only knows what will occur, he knows all that possibly could occur. So, you know, and that language is taken. You know, from statements in the Confessions of Faith, you know, the historic Christian Confessions of Faith, where they used that descriptive language to try to eliminate possibilities of other people that come in and say, well, you know, God knows because he just, he's wise enough to speculate if he's put the circumstances in a certain way, then this would be the outcome. So they, they wanted to narrow that language down to saying, no, that's not, God is not reactionary. God is not waiting to see. He doesn't know something by, by projection, you know. He knows because he has purposed it, and he knows with absolute clarity and definite certainty. So he knows everything that will occur because he purposed that, and he knows everything that possibly could occur had he chosen differently. <laughs> um, the one of the confessions, I think it's a London Baptist confession, it says his knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent on the creature, so to him nothing is contingent or uncertain. There's no uncertainty or contingencies in God. All is will unfolding before us. So let's look at Psalm 139 as we kind of begin to, to uh, delve into the idea of God's omniscience. In the first six verses of Psalm 139, uh, you know, we are, we are helped by the psalmist to consider the greatness of God with reference to knowledge. And we're going to have to come to the same conclusion he did, uh, and we'll see that in just a moment. But it says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down, when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path, my lying down, and you are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Thou hast closed me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. In conclusion, such knowledge is 
wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. And this is so true. As we consider the knowledge of God, that it is, it is in fact, it's just, you know, whatever, however you might say it, it's, it's I said it was mind-blowing earlier, so Psalmist said it's, it's too wonderful for me. It's overwhelming in a good way to consider the greatness of, of my of my creator. Um, and so just kind of unpacking those, those verses a little bit, not really not doing too much there, but um, searching and knowing is it, it gives us the idea of God's penetrating knowledge. Again, God's not searching to find out. But it's giving the Bible is giving us the picture that the, the, the eye of God is, is all is all penetrating. It, it's, and he says in verse two, he knows when we sit down and we raise up, and he understands what from afar. Thoughts. He understands our thoughts. He scrutinizes our path and our lying down and is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. You know, I don't think I'm even intimately acquainted with all my ways about me, <laughs> you know? I mean, if you think about it, do you understand yourself? A lot of times we use that phrase, you know, I just don't understand myself. Why do I do and say and act and why, you know? And of course, the Bible teaches us we're not to look inward to find answers because that's a real train wreck, you know, because of the fall. We're to look upward and to God for our wisdom. But we do ask that question, why, why am I, I don't understand myself sometimes. Well, God understands ourselves all the time. He's intimately acquainted. And it says in verse 4, even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. So that's the idea that as, we're, as our minds are forming the conceptions and the thoughts of the words that we're going to say, but we haven't said them, that God's completely understanding, not only what we will say, but the thought process and the conception that goes into it. Then he who created the mind understands the mind. The psalmist says, he who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? That's the idea that sometimes there's an idea uh, among people that, well, you know, God is way, way out there, and he's God, and I'm me, and you know, he just you know, doesn't understand all that's going on. You know, he doesn't really understand me, my thoughts, what I'm going through. He's far from the truth. He understands completely. In fact, he understands it clearly and absolutely where we often don't. And understand ourselves and why we're doing things that we're doing. Well, the idea there of, of course, including perfect knowledge of every of every person and event and circumstance. And, and when you think about yourself, he knows your thoughts and your actions, but he knows the intentions behind those actions. That's a very revealing thought, isn't it? Like it says in Hebrews um, 4.13, that there's no creature hidden from his sight. And, and, you know, I mean, we're all... We're all checked by that, are we not? We're checked in our in our not only our outward behavior, but but our, our thoughts that we must um, pray to God that we keep us pure in those areas. So you know, it's no wonder the psalmist said, "Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I, I cannot attain to it. It's too high. <laughs> you know, God is too high." What does that do for us when we recognize our own limitations, just like we've done at every? Step and turn in this particular study of the attributes of God. What does that do for us? 
Remember back when we started and Paul went into Athens and he approached the people who had brought God and their thoughts of God down to their own level and needing to meet them because they were now the creator of their idols that they worshipped and that was their idea of God. You are not motivated to worship that which you yourself have created. If you've brought your thoughts of the true creator down to that level, there's not going to be any humility, as you said. There's not going to be any uh, true heartfelt worship. There's not going to be any sense of awe. You know, they had superstition and everything, and they were afraid to know that the God were, gods would get them if they didn't do certain things. That's not really, technically, if you think about it, that's not heartfelt worship. But when you see God as he is, you, you come to that place where you say, this is amazing. This is too high. God cannot be fully known by his creatures. Though we're fully known by him, you, then it does create that humility, as you said. It creates that motivation in, in, the, in the believers to worship, adore him. Um, and so from the heart, we are, we are uh, responding. And it does cause godly fear, too, right? Because you stand in awe of, of that type of power and that type of knowledge. Anything else? That... More greatest Right. What we what we do and people see is what we do and people see, but God sees and knows all. And so again, that's that to check us and to keep us uh, holy before Him and motivate us to seek His power for that. It's the same with all of us, isn't it? We can lie to ourselves and to others, but lie to God. So. Um, it says in um, it says in uh, Hebrews four thirteen, as I said, no creature is hidden from his sight, and that, and that means it's not simply that God is seeing them, but that He's considering uh, with absolute clarity and 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 uh, insight into the person what they're doing. That you know the action is one thing, uh, but the motivation behind the action is the other. And may I just say very quickly that everything begins somewhere, every good thing in us and every bad thing in us begins somewhere. And it begins in the mind, it begins in the conception, right? And, and so um, that's, that's where we need to be asking God for grace and help is in those areas where every outward action that's sinful started in, a, in the mind. And so, you know, we need to be asking God to work in, in the inner man and renewing our mind using the means that he's given us, the word of God and prayer, uh, to do that. And uh, we do that imperfectly. We recognize that. We, 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 are, we are not perfectly holy, and we will one day be in, in the glorified, but we still seek power and grace of God, who will give it to help. All right, very good. Well, let's look at another area, Matthew chapter 10, and uh, 29 and 30. Matthew 10, 29, and 30. Now these are areas that, that I've chosen to bring out certain aspects, maybe different aspects of, of uh, God's omniscience. Um, I hope that while we can't spend the type, type of time we maybe would like to on any one of these, I hope that all of these are encouraging you for first word further study. Matthew uh, 10, 29 and 30. Somebody there, would you read that for us?
We would think of um, a sparrow as an insignificant thing, you know. I mean, birds, they, they live and they die, you know, to us it's normal. Uh, we think of the hairs of our heads as something not to worry about or take notice of. And But it's given here in, that we might be reminded that everything, no matter how insignificant it may appear to us, is something that God has knowledge of, that he takes notice of using human language, that he, he knows it because he is sovereign over it. Sovereign over when the little baby sparrows are born, you know, and the egg hatches and they fly. And he's sovereign over when one falls to its death. Sovereign over making the hair grow in your head, and he's sovereign over the hairs that fall out or stop growing on your head, whatever the case may be. He's even sovereign over the hairs that grow in your chin, Jay. Mine too. I could have said Jacob. Jacob's sporting a nice beard too. So, you know, we think, well, you know, if those are insignificant the hairs on my head, that he knows the number of them, that's an insignificant thing. The point there is, nothing escapes his notice. Even down to the smallest details, he knows everything altogether. He's numbered the stars, billions and upon billions. We don't even know the vast reaches of the galaxy that God has created for his glory. It's, they're numberless, really, but it says not only has he numbered them, but he's named them. Gave a name. Well, we've had ten children, and it was getting to be a stretch at, at number ten that of what of what name. And and you know, in American tradition, I'm glad we weren't in England because we would have had an additional name, even maybe a second family name. We just had to have three: first, middle, and and the last was already there. But but you know, what are we going to name the tenth child? It really wasn't that much of a stretch. I overemphasized it. Well, sorry, Eric. I, you know, you're the last. <laughs> you didn't get your name by default. We loved you. We chose that name for you. <laughs> How do I get out of this? Okay. <laughs> you got yourself in. I got in. <laughs> oh, but uh, but think of not ten names, not a thousand, not a million, not a billion, but billions and billions and billions. But he's numbered them. So, God is not limited like we are. His knowledge is not limited. And you might ask, well, if God's not limited in his knowledge, then can't he gain knowledge? Well, again, we have to come back to the fact that one, and there is only one, who is God, Father, Son, Spirit, who knows all that can be known, does not need to gain more. There's no necessity in him. There's anything he is not absolutely unknowing of. So it's not a limitation or a stagnation or, or a detriment that God doesn't learn. He doesn't need to learn. That's um, it's an encouraging thought. He has a knowledge of, you know, it's hard for us to imagine that, that every little detail is, is known by him at once. Everything about everything. You know, the more you see about nature, and most of the nature shows, unfortunately, come at it from an evolutionistic you know, point of view, and that's, that's very, very unfortunate. Um, but every time I see one of those shows, while well, I filter that out, you know, and I'm giving glory to God while they're giving, you know, glory to chance and circumstance and environment and so forth, I think of the fact that the, the more we discover on the micro level, 
deeper it goes, you know. And same same for the the macro level. I mean, you know, when I when I taught I taught for ten years, you know, electrical theory and taught the science of it all. And I would teach down to the atomic level, you know. But really, and I would stop there because but I knew there was developing science that went even beyond just the photon, neutron, and electron in, in the atom. There's there, there's so much stuff out there that's exciting and new that's smaller than the atom working within those elements of the atom to make up the elements of the atom, which all the atoms together make up the elements of what we see and know, even ourselves. And if we can keep going, if God wills it, we'll discover more and more and more. It'll keep going. And the farther out we go into the galaxies and discover, the more we'll keep seeing. We don't ever get to the end of the road where it says dead end, you know, dead end on this level or dead end on the on the largest scale. Because God has purposed his creation to be that the more man through knowledge discovered, the greater God becomes in our eyes. There's no exhausting of him, his knowledge is powerful, there's no exhausting of his own creation either. Don't you believe it's going to be that way in eternity for us? We're not going to be sitting on top of a cloud drumming a guitar wondering, you know, how long this is going to go on. I mean, life will be a life abundant in Christ. Discovery after discovery for all time uh, in memorial. All right, so if God knows everything, past, present, and future, and it's all one to him, in the future, we, when we speak of past, present, and future, the future forward, for us, is simply the unfolding of his will and his purposes, his plans. God doesn't depend on somebody else for knowledge. Uh, it says in Romans eleven thirty four, who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? He gave God knowledge. He said, uh, you know, I think if you created this like this, you'd have a better outcome, you know. Uh, you might think about, you know, we say that, you know, when I approach my boss at work, I know not to go up and say, that's a bad idea. <laughs> so I say, you know, have you thought about, you know, you might consider in smoothing the way so it's not an affront to his authority. But with God, nobody said, you know, did you think about, you didn't need counsel. In fact, it says in Ephesians 1.11, and I love this verse, let's go ahead and look at it. I think it's... Uh, when you see it with your own eyes, it's um, urging. Ephesians 1.11 says that when God, takes, God does take counsel, but he doesn't take it outside of himself. He takes counsel in this way. Ephesians 1.11, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after counsel. Of his own will. God does take counsel, but he takes counsel in himself. He acts in accordance with the counsel of his own will. There's the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit, all one, and there is, you know, counsel, if you will, so they are agreed. There's no debate among the Trinity. Studying uh, on our Thursday night Bible study, the, uh, the book Knowing Christ by Mark Jones, and, and um, the last chapter we looked at was on the incarnation and it, it, a lot of the book so far has been talking about the you know the inner trinitarian relationships well it's hard to 
hard to work out in our mind because there's not a debate when we speak of a determination that the Father would send the Son to be the Redeemer and the Spirit would, would create the, the human body and soul of Christ inside of Mary, that there was, we speak of cooperation and determination. The Father purposed and the Son came and the Spirit empowered, but there wasn't no debate about it. There was no challenge among the Trinity. It was, we agreed. But we, we uh, we've been given the different roles in the Scripture understand the glory and the dynamic of the again the Trinitarian relationship. But God does take counsel, but he takes it with himself because there's none greater. Well for contrast then, let's look at um, several scriptures that kind of talk about our way of gaining knowledge or, or knowledge or lack thereof versus which is God. In Proverbs 25, Proverbs 25 verse 2 We'll ask the question, who, who teaches man knowledge? And Proverbs 25, 2 answers this. It says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. So stop and think about that. It's the glory of God to conceal. He knows all that can be known. He can, at his disposal, with it, with his creation, reveal himself as he has to us, or conceal. And so, nobody, I think the idea there behind that is, there's nobody, if God wants to conceal something, who's going to find it out? God says, this will not be known at this time. It will not be known. There's no one greater in power or knowledge than God. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter within himself. Until he chooses to reveal it. But it's the glory of kings, on the other hand, who search out a matter. So a king, to be a wise king and governor, to govern the people as God would have him to do, will have to be a wise man. He will have to have knowledge and he will have to attain. How can I best govern? What what do what do I need to be as a person to be a good king? How would God have me to be a king? What areas of knowledge must I have? So forth. So he searches those things out. Who's giving that knowledge to the king? Who is revealing? Who reveals all knowledge? It's God. God is not concealing those things. He's giving them out. It is the glory of God to conceal things. But kings search out. And so that's the idea. That's the to me the contrast. That you have God who no one searches him out. You know. No one, you know, is going to, is going to, God goes to no one, a better way to say it, according to this verse, God goes to no one to, to gain knowledge. And to us, we, the king especially, would begin searching out a matter that he might be a, a good king and a good governor. The glory, it brings God glory to conceal things. A man glory to search out things. God will reveal what about wisdom in particular? I remember a little verse in James that says, if any man lacks wisdom, he should do what? Ask to ask of God, who will say, and this is wrong, who will say, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to keep that myself, or not, not in the mood for giving wisdom today. <laughs> it says, who gives to all liberally without finding fault? Yes. Because God's promise, He's going to give that wisdom. 
we need to seek out wisdom from God, the glory of God to reveal it. He is not withholding anything good and necessary for us. It's a joyful quest for us to seek out and to find because we, we must recognize God is revealing to us. It's not just, don't think of knowledge as something general or neutral or, or apart from God in his creation. Think of God as knowledge, the fountain. He's the great fountain of all life and wisdom too. Any area of endeavor, you know, if you're a scientist, you've, you've, you've mastered that area because God revealed that to you and gave you that knowledge. The glory of God. You sought it out and you, you made the effort. You know, if you're, if you're a mother or father, you sought wisdom from God to be able to do that. If you're a student, you're seeking wisdom to, from God. If you're running a business, you're, you're relying on God. Where does the knowledge to run a business effectively come from? We ought, we ought to think of all of those things in terms of God giving them to us, God unfolding them for us, um, for his glory and for our good. It makes wisdom not a, just a, a neutral kind of uh, thing, you know, just something out there like words on a page. It makes it more intimate with us, really. In my mind, it does. Thoughts on that? One of it. Okay. Proverbs three uh, is another contrast. Verse nineteen and twenty, and, and these are just some areas that you know I'm bringing out. I hope that you have others, and if you if you already have thought of some, and I would I would like for you to share those with me too, either here or, or uh, later, because it's just exciting to to think of God. Uh, omniscience, and yet he, as a, the, the eternal fountain of wisdom, is, is giving us an unfolding knowledge of things, life, and relationship with him. That will continue on and on and on. We never stop. But in um, Proverbs three nineteen and twenty, it says, "By Lord, uh, the Lord, by wisdom founded the earth; by understanding, he established the heavens." By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies with with dew. So, what three things, or by what three things, did God establish the earth and the heavens? By wisdom, and understanding, by knowledge. So, I, if anybody questions the wisdom and understanding and knowledge of God, let them create their own universe. <laughs> you know. Create a universe and then and then challenge God afterwards as to His own wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Well, that's what Pride, pride of man really can uh, reach incredible heights uh, that we might think to challenge our creator. But the, the scriptures, rightly understood, destroy that pride. And then they let us see ourselves for who we are before God. And we're so thankful uh, for things rather than demanding of God or, or challenging God. So, so you're right, you know, um, the wisdom and, and, and Glory of God is on display for us. And a lot of times we just have to open our eyes and recognize it. And, uh, and recognize it.
worship the Lord. Think about that every day. You know, this is the day the Lord has made. I will be glad and rejoice. There's a lot of mornings I wake up. I'm like you. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm beat up from the night before. I can't quite get over it. I got the day ahead of me. I'm still smarting from the day before. Lord, how am I going to face this day? This is the day the Lord has made. This isn't happening to me. This is not circumstances. You know, this is God has ordained this to be. He made this day with all of its troubles. Trials and with its joys and successes at our destination. So I will rejoice and be glad in it. So I have to remind myself of that perspective. We all we all have to do that because it's very difficult at times. Okay, one last thing and we'll come to a close in Ecclesiastes chapter twelve. Ecclesiastes chapter well, last chapter of the book. Nice little summary when it comes to um, thinking of, of God and his wisdom, in particular with reference to judgment. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 and 14. The conclusion, of course, the conclusion of, of the wisdom of the writer of the book, but the conclusion, conclusion when all has been heard is. Fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. Because God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. When you think of, of the sum of the matter, summarize, that summarizing statement is good for, for us too. It's the sum of the scriptures, isn't it? To fear God and keep his commandments, because God's going to bring everything uh, into judgment. How can God judge mankind, every life that's ever lived with absolute clarity? The answer, as we've already said, is because God knows all things that He knows everything about us, and He knows everything about everyone. And so the sum of the matter is, is right now to fear God, have that, that, that awesome sense of who He is, that we are accountable to Him, and that by his grace we're to keep his commandments and that we're to understand that our actions are being called into account. Our sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ and praise God for that. And yet every work shall come into judgment. Every thought, every word, whatever it says, every idle word we speak. And so I, I, I have a, a sense in my own mind that I've spent way too much of the language that's come out of my mouth of my life has been idle words. It hasn't been language with purpose and intent and grace. It's just been talk. So, I mean, it, it makes you think about it in a completely different way, doesn't it? To think to fear God and keep his commandments and, and remember everything will, will come into judgment. Jesus' works will come into judgment, whether they be good or, or whether they be worthless. Sins have already been judged. Christ Related upon Christ, and he <coughs> judge counted our sins to him, and we completely atoned for. And yet, as Christians, we have words to speak, we have a life to live, and thoughts to think, um, service to give, and so we need to be thinking of those in terms of how how is this viewed in terms of judgment. Don't think of judgment 
is only a negative thing. Because we're sinners, it's hard not to think of all we've done wrong, and there's plenty. But think of that judgment in terms of the positive as well. There will be reward. God's been gracious to give reward for the, the, his servant. When that great day comes, there's a separation, and he says, Ronnie, these things were worthless. And I see those things with clarity, and I go, wow. I wasted a lot of time, or thought that that was good and it wasn't, or, or something that I knew was working. But then he's also, think of it in the positive side, he's going to say, these things were pleasing to me. These things you did by my grace and my hand, that these things you did, which will be very reward. On the positive side, too. In either case, we ought to live our life every day in terms of thinking of God's all-seeing eye and all-knowing. Be a great and awesome day, you know. It'll be a, a day that uh, many, uh, many can reveal tears of, of both joy and, and uh, relief, <laughs> you know. I don't know how to picture it. You know, we all maybe picture it a little bit differently in our minds. I will know uh, when we get there. Um, but I just picture, you may think this is just so silly. I just picture that I'm the last, you know, when the, when the gates of heaven open, that I'm the last guy in line, and that's where I want to be. I want everybody else to go in ahead of me. I know, because I don't deserve to be there. But I want I know that when I get there, you know, it's it's settled by Christ. And we're not really going that way. I mean, it's all settled already, but you know what I mean. That's just how I picture it in my mind's eye. You know, it's as if Jesus stands up for all believers and says, Who deserves to be here? And not a single hand raised. Among all the multitudes. And he says, now, who have I made worthy to be here in every hand's raised? So, you know, it's, it's, it's just something I picture in my mind's eye that reminds me that that great day is going to be a revealing day, a day of recognizing how poor uh, a sinner I was and how great a Savior he is. And so it'll be the rejoicing, the things lost, yes, in judgment, swept away, worthless, is the things gained that are before us. Only a, I think only in the mortal body can handle that emotion in that moment, right? Like when we see him face to face and stand before him. Yeah, we don't do that in fear and trembling because the ultimate outcome is settled. But woe, woe for the reckoning of that day as well. Any thoughts of that? Maybe you have a, another perspective on that or maybe a, a better perspective on that. <laughs> you're behind me? No, Ron, you're ahead of me. In terms of knowledge, it will be a great day of increase. And we'll, we'll, knowledge will be subject to our fallen mind. And shadow will be cast away. I mean, so in terms of oh, in heaven, our mind will be enlarged. Know and understand and pain to yeah. yeah. so that's a great thing too. <laughs> Absolutely. No matter what your IQ is here, you know, in heaven, it's a dream. You know, your mind in heaven is working continuously. Yes. Yeah, not, not, it could be a great hope, I think, for all of us to feel extremely <laughs> most of the time. Those who we know that have been 
Can you remember um, when we had more health issues? Mm -hmm. you know, there's all these kind of things. You might go into the gate that way. Yeah. But it's heaven all of that. Will be known, will know, excuse me, even as we are known. So that definitely speaks to that. It's uh, as well. Um, what's, you know, if, if a, a mortal mind and that a fallen one can learn what we can, can consider and know what we know now, imagine what a mortal mind without sin. God is good, and uh, praise Him for for His wisdom and uh, grace. Well, next week we'll consider God and His power, and uh, just just praise Him all the more. Well, as we go uh, into the second hour, let's uh, be thankful for Him and uh, give Him praise of His. Do unto his name the praise of his name.